3: With you, this is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, Super Talk TV, and, of course, on your Super Talk Mississippi radio stations. Great, as always, to be with you wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thanks for jumping on jump and uh, coming along for the ride. We are coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Visit PearlRiverResort.com. Check out the events page and see about all the things that are coming up, including Sawyer Brown Band, Jeff Foxworthy, Fluffy. You can buy your tickets online at PearlRiverResort.com. That's PearlRiverResort.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, we'd love to hear from you, as always, on the Seaspire guest line, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire for all of your wireless, fiber to the home, and business IT solutions. com or your local Ceasefire store.
4: Hello, boys. So, we can start with a story since we got a guest coming up here soon. Mm-hmm. I made a kid cry today.
2: Now, was it your kid?
4: It was not my kid. No, if you got a three year old, you're going to make your kid cry sometimes. You know, like if you got to take a toy away because it's nap time, kids going to cry sometimes. It just I made another kid cry today. So,. And I didn't do anything, I didn't say anything, but I still made the kid cry anyway. Here's what happened. So we live in Madison, and there is a railroad track that comes right, it cuts the town in half, basically. Runs pretty much parallel to Highway 51, mm-hmm. this railroad track. And so anytime a little man and I are out, and we hear a distant train horn, we'll get in the car and go drive up to the train tracks, because he loves watching the train go by. Just loves it. I've told about that or told you guys yeah, yeah, in the audience yeah. about that before. James is a trained dude. He's trained. He loves him. I, I, I think he especially likes the noise and, like, because uh, we get close to the tracks, not dangerously close, but close, and he likes, like, how the ground vibrates a little bit and, like, bounces him. He loves that, the power of the train. So anytime we hear it, he looks at me and goes, Dad, hurry, 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 and we get in the car and we go drive as fast as we can to the train tracks, anywhere in town we are. So today, this morning, I got some work done. And uh, we went uh, to a park nearby to to kick soccer ball. I think he likes soccer. It would be a good sport for him. And next to the soccer field we were kicking the ball at, there's a couple of beach volleyball courts, I guess. That's what you call them. And there was a handful of moms that had little kids playing in the sand on the beach volleyball court. They're just digging and messing around like they were at the beach, basically. And we heard the distant train horn. And James looks at me and says, Dad, hurry, hurry, hurry. So I scoop him up, and we run to the car. And as we're running by, I guess one of the other kids realizes what we're doing. He goes, Mom, train. Let's go see the train. And she goes, No, we're not going to see the train. Instant tears. Just lost it on their mom, (laughs) crying like crazy. I was an overachiever dad today, and that kid was crying when we got in the car. You
2: did not make this child cry. His mother made him cry.
4: You, you had nothing
2: to do I, with I these felt, tears.
4: You should feel no shame. I did feel bad, though, because Mom was like, no, no we no. are not doing that. I was like, sorry. I don't sorry, know. That kid, that kid lost it because he couldn't mm-hmm. go see the train, too. Yeah, who doesn't like a train? Oh, they're awesome. I can do story time.
3: Bring it. Sunday. This past Sunday. I uh, I had to make a run to Home Depot, and Home Depot is on Jackson Avenue in Oxford. If you're familiar with that part of kind of west Oxford. And so I was making a left-hand turn coming out of the road that leads back to Home Depot back onto Jackson Avenue. I was headed back to the house, and that's the area right there in front of Walmart. And even on a Sunday afternoon, there was there's plenty of traffic. And I've got my window rolled halfway down. Pleasant afternoon. And I'm just in front of Walmart, and then I see something out of the corner of my eye flying at me and my truck. And I look, and, like, simultaneously, I hear something hit the side of my truck, and then I feel liquid flying um. At my head. So what I have determined to be some high school kids driving a really expensive truck on a Sunday afternoon threw a water balloon out the window at a random vehicle that they saw the window down. And they were accurate enough of the shot that exploded through the open window water all over my face i had their info to kiffin i had a a rush of thoughts that went through my head most of them were not good ideas and so i immediately make a left-hand turn make sure that i can turn into a parking lot whip around they're stuck at the traffic light and i'm like all right i gotta go It's like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do in terms of chasing these guys down. But I turn around, and I head back that way. And they see me coming. Like, I can see them looking. They're trying to figure out, is he going to get to us? Light turns green. They whip into the parking lot, the road that goes up to Walmart. And then they immediately make a right-hand turn right there behind where Chili's is, kind of into that strip mall area. And I see them turn, and so I go one road farther down, and I'm going to turn in. It's AutoZone or one of the auto parts stores right there, Advanced Auto Parts or AutoZone or whatever. And they see what I'm doing because they've whipped through that parking lot and come down and gone into the AutoZone. They're trying to figure out a way to get around behind that, but it's not there. And so they, like, throw it into reverse and squeal tires in the parking lot and come flying back out through that parking lot as I'm trying to turn in. Well, they go back up, and I just kind of keep on following. I'm not, like, going fast or anything like this. And I see, okay, they're about to be in a a log jam. And so where they're trying to now make a left-hand turn, like you're going back down to Jackson Avenue if you're coming out of Walmart, they're stuck behind two cars. And then there are a couple of cars between me and them. So I pull up as far as I can go, and I stop, and I get out, and I start walking toward their truck. And they're all looking back, and it's like, What's about to happen? These guys think they're about to fight somebody? Are they about to get screamed out and start lacing profanities? And I just stop, and I pull out my phone, and I zoom in on the license plate, and I take a picture. And they yelled something. I couldn't hear what it was. I walk back and get in my truck, and they go flying off. They head east on Jackson Avenue, and, I, you know, again, it's congested, so I can't turn very fast, and I don't know what to do. I called Jane, and I was like, You're not going to believe what just happened to me. And I explained it to him. Once she stopped laughing, she's like, I mean, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. It's like, what am I going to, like, chase down a bunch of high school kids and beat somebody up? That's a really stupid idea. You don't want to escalate the situation. You don't want to, like, get into super reckless driving, chasing some kid down. And so she's like, well, I mean, are you going to call the police? I was like, I don't know. And then she raised a really good point. The fact that it was me, okay, no big deal. We can laugh about it. I got a story to tell on the radio. But what if it had been my mom or my mother in law or somebody's grandmother that was driving along that sees a balloon flying in that explodes, you know, comes in the window, hits them in the head, explodes, scares them to death, causes them to have a heart attack. They don't have a heart attack. They just, Oh, and they swerve into oncoming traffic, and then they get plowed by a truck that's coming the opposite way. And so this feels like, okay. So I called the Oxford Police Department, and I was like, hey, here's what happened. I'm not saying these guys should be arrested. It's no big deal. I'm fine. No worries. But this feels like a really bad idea. Here's the license. Oh, and it was a it was a personalized tag. I mean, it's not like it was a truck. And we're talking like late model super nice truck, jacked up pipes, personalized license plate. And I think it was high school kids cuz there's no university sticker on there. So, anyway, we got and and the lady at the police department, she's like, "No, no, please. Thank you for calling." I'll alert our police officers that are on patrol. We'll also alert university police in case they're cruising through campus.
4: I was like, all right, have a good afternoon. Yeah. Was that the right call to call the police? Yes, because of the scenario that you mentioned. You you can't be doing stuff. I mean, kids are kids.
3: (laughs) Oh, Borky, ceasefire text line. Chase them down and see if they want to pitch for state this weekend. <laughs>
4: Aww. Aww. Aww.
2: <laughs> it hurts because it's true.
4: Yeah, kids are kids, and kids do dumb things. They don't need to go to prison or anything, but y- you can't be doing stuff like that when people are driving a car. Y- you just can't.
3: Uh, Adam in Monticello says, embarrass them. Find the driver where he goes to school and embarrass
4: them somehow. And I don't know if you're easily getting embarrassed there. A good scare from a local police officer that's kind of in on it wouldn't be the worst thing. Knock on the door, question him, you know, kind of scare him out of doing crap like that. Wouldn't be the worst idea.
2: You, you got you got connections, Richard. Send Quinshawn Judkins and Jackson Dart to his high school to intimidate him.
3: I, after a minute, I kind of wiped my face, and then I slowly smelled. I was like, okay, it is just water. That that That's good to know.
2: <laughs> if it had been something else, then you have to go after him, yeah. We'll be back. Tom Hart
3: next. Okay, what we do next?
0: Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. Triple Eight 808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, Super Talk TV, and all across the state of Mississippi. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Tom Hart joins us from ESPN and the SEC Network. Tom, we're going to jump right in. I have a scenario for you. I need to know how you would react. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's say that on Sunday afternoon in your hometown of Atlanta, you were running some errands and uh, you were innocently driving with your window rolled down, and a random truck that was in a turn lane threw a water balloon out the window that exploded through your driver's window and got your head all wet. How would you react?
5: Um, what was the age range of these perpetrators?
3: We're, go- we're going high school.
5: High school. All right, he- here's what I've learned. you if- people are a certain age, if kids are a certain age, they can still have the fear of God put in them. Mm-hmm. High school boys cannot be scared by anything. <laughs> when I was in high school, as you know, I was abducted by the federales in Mexico. There's nothing you could do to keep me from throwing a water balloon at a random dork in a pickup truck. <laughs> I think you just got to wear it, you know? Just wear it. Next, you know, next time, do you- Keep your eyes peeled.
3: <laughs> Drive
5: faster. Yeah. Hope your aim is yeah. worse next time. Be thankful in this day and age, and I'm only – there's a little bit of truth to this, and most of it is humor. Be thankful that kids are throwing water balloons instead of doing worse things, right? Like Nobody was hurt. Maybe your iPhone got a little wet. They're t- They're going to tell that story. For decades, and laugh about it, and and if they're lucky enough to be tuned in right now, they'll say, "As in that guy got on the radio and talked about it."
3: Hmm. Hmm. Do you give a courtesy call to the police? Hey, just a heads up. I'm not mad, but this could be dangerous for somebody else. Uh, um.
5: You could. You could. Oh, so now you now up. you think
3: I'm a rat because I called the police.
5: Well, no, listen, we have different experiences. We live in different-sized cities, right? If I called the Atlanta Police Department, first of all, I'd have to sit on hold, number one, no matter what my emergency was. And if I brought up a water balloon, they would hang up on me immediately. So, yes, I think in a town the size of Oxford, that's perfectly fair to make uh, make the local authorities aware. And then they could put the fear of God in the kids if they wanted to.
3: Yeah, it's it's almost like the guys in uniform have the ability to uh, to do that. Yeah. My, my, my only debate, and like the, if I was being serious about it, was, okay, what if it's not me? What if it's my mother-in-law who, like, what just hit? And all of a sudden she's like, she swerves into oncoming traffic because she has no idea what just happened.
5: It reminds me of this great story that I heard firsthand from the um, now-deceased Chris Duncan, who was a great baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals, won a World Series with him at first base, and his uh, dad was Dave Duncan. His- Dave Duncan, the longtime pitching coach at Tony La Russa, well, the Duncan boys, he and his uh, brother Shelly, got into all sorts of mischief their entire life. They were miscreants. <laughs> but they're also wickedly talented at baseball, so usually they got out of trouble. Well, one night they got into a, a tit-for-tat with some other boys their age in the neighborhood, and they got word that the boys were coming to the Duncan house to teepee some trees and do other whatever damage they were going to do. So the Duncan brothers got dressed up in fatigued, painted their faces, and hid out, waiting for this white Jeep Cherokee to come down the street. Sure enough, about midnight, here comes this white Jeep Cherokee. Chris Duncan, who grew up to be 6'5", 230 pounds, and a major league slugger, jumps from out of a bush onto the windshield with a brick in his hand to slam the brick into the windshield. And just oh, as no. his arm is yeah, just as his arm is going forward, he looks in the windshield and he realizes. It's not the guys from the rival school, these other 16-, 17-year-olds. It's an old lady driving home late at night. So the end result was the Duncan family had to write a really, really big check to that very, very nice and very scared old woman that night. Wow. (laughs) Oh, can you imagine if they go forward with the brick? No, no! <laughs> it's like when the umpire calls time and the pitcher's already into his motion, but you can't stop at that point. You just let it go to the backstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, must have been a very bad feeling for all parties involved. Hey, we got
3: a uh, we got an interesting story in college baseball that's kind of developed over the last couple of days. The uh, you, you can't bet on Alabama baseball in a lot of jurisdictions now. What do you make of that? And I, I know you got Alabama on TV tomorrow night.
5: Yeah, uh, I've got the next two games against Vanderbilt. I I think there's a lot of ways to look at this story from a big picture, and I I think there's a lot that we still don't know. Um, If none of this is true or accurate, the Ohio Gaming Commission did Alabama baseball a major disservice by uh, putting their name with this story. Uh, A huge disservice. Um, And I don't know when we'll know the the truth of all of this, but it's another example of, in my opinion, the growth of college baseball. We've gotten to a point where people want to bet a big money on college baseball. That's in, in this modern era. That's a sign of growth, and we've also gotten to the point where we're willing to fire pitching coaches in the middle of a season.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Now that comes with the territory of being a high-dollar sport that has turned into a revenue sport. With high stakes, you've got a lot of coaches out there making seven figures to coach college baseball, and so the extra scrutiny comes along with that. I just don't know if you are honest about it and you sit back and say, this is, this is where we want to be. This is turned into the urban sprawl of, of college baseball. This incredible growth has taken us to some different places. I mean, is
3: there a scenario where a Cincinnati Reds fan who pays attention to college baseball thinks that they might end up with the first or second pick in the draft and they might take Paul Skeens and they're like, let's load up on this guy tonight. They're playing Alabama.
5: Sure. I mean, I think anything's possible. But if you know the gambling industry, it's easy to assume that the bet was out of character enough or raised enough red flags to go through the trouble banning an entire team and oh by the way um also brings scrutiny to this business of gambling on college sports and college baseball i cannot imagine that college baseball is a big money maker for the sports books yes of course when you get to omaha and the, the the games are getting a little bit more attention to people put some money on it yeah there's no doubt they do uh but not not during the regular season not at the it's not the same interest level as as the nba or the nfl or college football it's not even close um so for for some random reds fan to walk in and say Skeens is throwing they got crews and they're playing an alabama team that i don't know much about yeah let me put a couple bucks down that would not raise any red flags, certainly wouldn't raise red flags and cause an investigation to the point where they banned betting on an entire team indefinitely. Yeah.
3: So advancing this story a to touch, and this is something that you and I talked about a little bit yesterday, and then we talked about it on the radio a lot yesterday afternoon. When you think about sports betting in college athletics, could we be moving toward a place where injury reports and practice reports, participation reports for practice are mandated when we get to football season? Because if this story is about college football instead of college baseball, I think everybody's looking at it differently.
5: We have to get to that place, and we have to get there immediately, and, and we have to get there for all sports. Yeah, we, you know, Who knew that we would have needed that for college baseball? But apparently now we do. There, by taking um, sports gambling mainstream, you've done two things. Number one, you've, you've, bring, you've brought to the forefront the idea that um, more players could be influenced by unsavory characters. That's a, that's a no-brainer that goes with the territory. But you also have more regulation. If this uh, bet were placed you know, on the back streets of Brooklyn nobody would have thought to raise a red flag or looked into it more, and it certainly would have been publicized because it would have been um, underground, so to speak. Right. But by having everything public and regulated, that allows these red flags to, A, pop, B, be identified, and C, then get investigated. So all of that's good. But to a football perspective, if, if this weren't, and I don't even remember the young man's name who was scheduled to start that contest against LSU, but if this were alabama lsu football and friday afternoon or even saturday afternoon nick saban made the decision that bryce young wasn't going to start at quarterback and he didn't disclose that information yet it was known in some circles that's how you get inside information that has value to gamblers if everybody knows about it it has no value and so um that's by providing injury reports by providing availability reports um, you have to you're causing the NCAA or college conferences to admit yes this is a big part of our sport big enough that it needs to be regulated and controlled to an extent but you're really taking all of that all of those other risks um, uh, you're taking them right off the table by forcing coaches to publicize by the way they don't want to do that right that's a, a college football yeah, coaches coach don't oh, they're the most controlling coaches I've ever met in my entire life by nature. Um, They don't want to tell you if their backup left corner has a hangnail on his pinky toe. Um, But all of that impacts the game, and and bigger positions, more important players certainly have a greater impact when they're not available.
3: Great stuff, Tom. Thanks for your time.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi.
1: Will you ever get so excited that you just can't wait?
0: Sports Talk Mississippi covering your Mississippi team. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial. here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: I figured you were going to change my name back on Super Talk TV, Dorky. I thought I was just going to be a random dork for the rest of the day. But uh, guy, Tom Hart. Keyboard.
2: Tom Hart always delivers the goods whenever we have him on.
3: We talked a lot about the, um, the the implementation of practice participation reports and injury reports for football. Tom didn't even hesitate on that said not just it has to happen, but it has to happen immediately. you guys give any thoughts on that overnight as we kind of explored that conversation yesterday and continued to kind of look at this story? Any any other
4: thoughts? The more I think about it, the more it needs to happen. You know, a lot of stuff needs to happen. I, I think more transparency in college sports needs to happen. Across the board. Injuries to protect the integrity of the game. Things like, and I know, like, we get the reported number. Like, we know how much Lane Kiffin's getting paid. We know how much Zach Garnett's getting paid. But the embellishment of coaching salaries, I think, is a bit ridiculous. Frankly, the embellishment of NIL player salaries is a bit ridiculous. What do you mean by embellishment? Like what they're getting paid is ridiculous. Do you know? No, 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 no. The the like. Do you know what Clark Lee's getting at Vanderbilt? Why not? Well, because it's a private school. We should know. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Is is, uh, and you can go a step further with you know Lane
2: Kiffin makes nine million a year, right? But do we know the exact split between what the university pays and what? The 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 loyalty foundation pays, and I mean, it's like that for a lot of coaches. You
3: know, yeah, well, you, don't, mean, you don't you don't know what's coming capped. from where. You know, it, yeah. not, you, we don't know it everywhere, but we know in Mississippi that the university's capped, and I don't know exactly what the number is. Mm-hmm. It's at one point it was two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand. That's gone, maybe like four hundred thousand, something along those lines. Because you can't have the university paying your football coach more than you pay the chancellor. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> it's probably we got, not a. We got Probably a university a
2: paying its basketball coach more than its football coach today. So we got a lot of good stuff.
4: in this state. That is, but
3: no. There, so, so now we know. By the way, while we're talking about salaries, we'll just huh. stick with that for a second. Uh, announced today, Chris Jans gets a raise. One year, one NCAA tournament. That'll get you a bump. Base salary goes to three point two million, starting this coming year twenty three twenty four. And there is an annual increase that is built in, and there are performance-based incentives, which, as we know, means you know winning the winning the SEC regular season, winning the SEC tournament, getting to the NCAA tournament, getting to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, Final Four national championship. All all of those are going to have tiers. I mean, that's the way all the incentives are set up. And then there's usually an APR bonus in there of some sort to uh, make sure that your guys are going to class when you attach. It's funny, right? When, when you attach a $50,000 bonus to a head coach, he's generally going to put a little more emphasis on his guys going to class. APR scores mattering. so Yeah, that's good. Congrats, Chris Jans.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then like I said, now Mississippi State is in a – Fraternity with Kentucky and Kansas, and probably Duke and North Carolina, of paying their basketball coach more than the football coach. North Carolina might be iffy, I don't know, but I would imagine you know Duke for sure. You know, Self makes more than Lance Leopold, Calipari obviously, probably Beheim nice before he retired over Babers.
4: I mean, when South Carolina hired Shane Beamer the women's basketball coach was making more than him. Not his previous salary. His initial salary at South Carolina as head football coach paid him less than the women's basketball coach. They have changed that since. Sure, sure. But that is what he was hired to get paid.
3: Hubert Davis probably making significantly less than Mac Brown. wasn't necessarily the case when Roy Williams was the head coach, but uh, his <laughs> deal in 22 was a six-year $16.7 million deal. Ooh. That's less yeah. than $3 million a year. We, no we, Mac Browns making more of yeah. that.
4: We get this message. It's nobody's business outside of the team who is injured or who isn't going to play in the game, especially gamblers. Here's why it is somebody's business. Because the gamblers can disrupt the integrity of the game. That's the issue. That's the problem. That's and, what you and, don't want to happen.
3: Yeah, and, and the thing is... If it's nobody's business and nobody knows, okay. And when we talk about integrity, the the game, the issue is a leak. Information that gets out. Usable information. An assistant coach tells somebody who tells somebody and now it's to a gambler. A player tells somebody and it gets to a bookie. I mean, that's, that's the issue. It's not that, oh, you know what, we all need to know whether the left tackle is going to start or his high ankle sprain is going to keep him out. It's not that. It's about shining a spotlight. What is it, the, the, the only thing that can drive out darkness is light? Yeah. It's about shining light on a sport to create transparency to build integrity
4: across the board. Yeah, in, in, in this particular part of the sport, all the other stuff is secondary to that point right there. I think fans deserve the right to know because they're the ones that pay the bills, but that's not the reason. The, the reason why they need to have injury reports—that's just a side bonus. You know, the people that are paying the salaries for these players, literally, I, I think they deserve the right—the right to know whether or not the wide receiver that they're stroking a $300,000 check for is going to be on the field or not. I think they deserve the right to know that, but that is secondary to protecting the integrity of the outcome of the games.
3: Speaking of transparency, Borky, you were telling me in the break, uh, Neil McCready uh, wrote a story at uh, at Rebel Grove where he was talking about a new commitment that Ole Miss has gotten yeah,
4: defensive back from Liberty. And Neil. I don't know of any other reporter that's done this. Maybe it's happened. I don't know. But but he deserves a ton of credit for just asking the kid. So, what's the NIL? And and he gave him range because he got a ton of offers, like 20 offers or whatever. That's how the mm-hmm. portal works. Uh, he said that he got offers, uh, not to spoil the entire story, but fifty to 150,000. And that Ole Miss was not the biggest offer. He, just cho- he chose to go to Ole Miss because it was the biggest exposure place, SEC school, that gave him the best chance to play. So the 150 is not what Ole Miss gave him, according to him, but somebody did offer that to him, but turned it down because he has a better chance at playing with his final year of eligibility at Ole Miss, but did admit that he's going to get paid at Ole Miss, because of course he is, everybody does. Yeah. But the, the transparency from from the player, I think, is impressive, and kudos to uh, finally a reporter saying, "Hey, I'm going to ask about this because that's a gigantic factor in these decisions. These players are getting salaries. Other professional athletes, everybody knows what they're getting paid. Why not ask these guys too? Yeah, I love it, and it needs. I think it needs to be standard practice moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good move by Neil,
3: and frankly, I like the answer that um, was given by Dejan Anthony. He's from Richmond, Virginia, and his response was, a lot of NIL numbers thrown at me, ranging from fifty to 150,000 for a season. He said he and Ole Miss got, quote, a good deal done, close quote, one that was not the highest offer he received, though he could make more if I handle my business and do what I've got to do. You can read the entire story on... Uh, the Rebel Grove website. It's the Ole Miss rival site, rebelgrove.com. So I don't want to steal the entire thing, but, you know, props to Neil for asking that question. I I mean, isn't that how the right way to answer it also? Yes. If you are the student-athlete, which, by the way, feels a little more grotesque to use that word than ever before. I mean, we've we've kind of laughed at it in the past, but now it's, you know, athlete-student at best. But if you don't feel comfortable saying, yeah, I got, I got 85000 total, 45000 of was of it was up front, and the next 40000 will be paid from, you know, September 1 through December 31. Maybe you don't feel comfortable saying that. But you can say, look, I, I don't necessarily feel com- comfortable just airing this completely, but I'll tell you that I had a bunch of offers that ranged from this to this,
4: and Ole Miss had a good deal. Good. Hey, that's what NFL players do. It's a, it, Not every NFL player takes the most money in free agency. Sometimes it's about fit. The Saints got a running back, and they didn't offer him the most money. But it's about fit. He's going to get on the field right away. He's going to play a lot. Yeah. That's why he chose the Saints.
3: So Lisa and Clara says something that has been a common refrain. And I don't think she means this in a bad way. She says, I hope these players have CPAs. And there have been a lot of people... That, that wanted to push back on the whole idea of NIL, but well, they're going to have to pay taxes on this. Oh, well, how are they going to file? Yes, I hope they have CPAs as well. I hope they have financial advice. And these collectives that are doing it the right way are actually withholding taxes for the players on the front end as a service to them. Not everybody's doing that, but some are. But how is it any different than a high school kid who mows yards? who forms an LLC and makes money. He has to pay taxes. How about a college student that's working a part-time job? They're going to get a 1099 or a W-2. got to pay taxes. I think they can handle that.
0: What we're going to do right here is go back. And so now back to, back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling. On Super Talk Mississippi. Peace.
3: Busy afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi. That's a good thing. Again. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America will join us to begin the four o'clock hour, about ten minutes from right now. Luke Johnson later today in the five o'clock hour, as well. Always look forward to visiting with Luke. Hey, come join the premier collegiate wood bat league in the South. As the Cotton States Baseball League will be hosting their 15th season with games at BNA Park, BNA Bank Park in June and July this summer, college players from Tennessee, Texas, and Florida are already committed for the 2023 season. You can send your application into CottonStatesLeague.com. It's got to happen no later than May 12th. So time running out. You got nine days left to reserve your spot in the collegiate league. Cotton State's Baseball League is affordably priced. It features outstanding facilities, great coaches, and an invaluable opportunity to compete and get reps during the summer for college players and for up-and-coming junior high and high school players. Complete stats packages with results are posted every single night. All games, again, are at B&A Bank Park in New Albany, centrally located to so many great players from across the southeast region, including prospects at all levels. The application deadline for high school players is June 2nd. So you got the entire month of May to get registered there. For more information, you can check out the Cotton uh, Cotton States League on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media outlets. And, again, their website is cottonstatesleague.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Jay Monahan, ahead of this weekend's PGA Tour event at Quail Hollow in Charlotte, that is a that is a player favorite. That is a course that players on the PGA Tour really, really like. Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, confirmed earlier today that Roy McIlroy would indeed be losing three million dollars from his player impact program bonus from last year. For missing a second designated event last month, McIlroy finished second in the PIP program to Tiger Woods, and was set to collect twelve million dollars. Instead, he's going to get nine million, having to forfeit twenty-five percent of the bonus for not making a start at the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head, one of Borky's favorite spots on tour, the week after the Masters. McElroy was asked about it yesterday, and he didn't really want to talk about it a whole lot, but said that he needed time to mentally recharge after missing the cut at the Masters. Said his, quote, mind would not have been there, close quote. What he didn't say is, I have enough money that $3 million doesn't matter. I'm still going to get nine out of this deal. This is not like I'm having to write a check for $3 million. I'm just getting a smaller check. He didn't say that. And Monahan said this, as McElroy laid it out, if a player is going to miss a second event to reset and to refresh, then he knew that. And he knew, as he said, the consequences. First of all, a player should be able to make a decision not to play. I think that's the beauty of our model. But he knows the consequences of that based on our criteria, and that's our position. This is fair all the way around, Right.
4: Yeah, I wonder Roy
3: McIlroy can choose not to play because he didn't think it was the right thing to do for him.
4: And the PGA Tour enforces their rules. I wonder what the consequences of missing a live event are. I bet they're not as nice. Burning at the stake. A little, little bit different. Hmm. Slightly. Yeah. It's pretty wild how, how much money is in sports. We, we kind of... Uh, Forget about that. Just because, you know, it's Monopoly money to us, and it's billionaire owners that are paying it, so who cares? But isn't it crazy that for a few weeks, thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of Baltimoreans, Baltimoreites, were begging somebody to pay a football player a quarter of a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. The, I mean, just mind-blowing. Not and, my money. And not mine either. And good for Lamar for going to get it without an agent, by the way. Saved himself a few million bucks. But that's how much money is in sports now. You have, a again, a defensive back out of Liberty who apparently is good enough to play at this level because a bunch of SEC and Big Ten teams wanted him to but a defensive back at least right now today i think a market correction's coming i've always maintained that but today somebody thought that a transfer defensive back from liberty with fewer than 50 total tackles in his career was worth $150,000 i mean it's For one good to season be king he will be, he will leave the school at the end of december so you got seven months, 150 k transfer defensive back good. from Liberty. It's going to work if you can get it. And, hey, I'm not criticizing the, the young man who apparently turned down some money, but go get yours, kid. Go get it. It's crazy that he can, though.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, it's the old saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. Exactly. That's the game right now. That is the game. There a lot of people that don't like the game. Will we get that market correction, or is that wishful thinking? I don't know. We'll be back. Teddy Cahill's next.
0: If it's sports in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Here, Sports Talk Mississippi. You like this show, huh? Yeah! Super Talk Mississippi.
3: All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's go to the Farm Bureau guest line right now and check in with our friend Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ted. Is there an underscore there? Or is it just Ted? It's just Ted Cahill. Teddy, I was doing that from memory. I wasn't looking at just at Ted Cahill
6: on Twitter. There we go. Hey man, how are you? Oh, pretty good. You know, we're we're into May. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing as we approach uh, approach the postseason now. Has this been a good season for college baseball? You know, I think that I would say yes. I, I think that you have a nice mix of, you know, some, you know, like LSU and Arkansas are really good. And, and so you have some familiarity there with, with some powerhouses. And then you also have uh, some teams popping up in different places, Uh, You know, there looks like there's going to be a regional in New England for the first time in a decade. Uh, Duke is uh, is leading one of the ACC divisions. Um, You know, Arizona State has bounced back out west. So you have some things like that going on around the country that I think are fresh. While you also still have uh, some of the familiar powerhouses doing their thing.
3: Teddy, I need to brush up on my Northeast geography. Do we consider Connecticut also part of New England, or does that stop? And and we're just talking about Boston College, because those are two teams that
6: both have a chance to host, right? Yeah, you know, I I was just considering it part of New England, but, uh, you know, who knows? Let's just say the Northeast. Uh, Maybe that's the better way to go. They both have a shot. (laughs) They both have a real shot, and I don't know if they both could host. Uh, Just Like, I don't know if it would happen that way, but, like, it could happen in either stores or Boston College.
3: In stores, that sure would be a nice payoff for for the investment they finally made into that program of the new stadium and being able to hang on to Jim Penders.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they paid like thirty million dollars to build Elliott Ballpark, which is a really nice setting there, and that's a program that has been so good for for so long, and and they were operating. Uh, you know, with a, you know, an old stadium that needed to be replaced. And, and yeah, you're right. They stepped up and they kept Jim Penders this year uh, after there was some interest uh, from Michigan and uh, you know, they, they really have um, been the class of the big East since they returned. They were a good program in the American and um, you know, BC also made a big investment after, you know, not caring about that program for so long, they have a new stadium as well. Um, So I, it would be great to see one of those investments be rewarded.
3: And you know what, Mike Ambino, the head coach at, at Boston College, not only is he a good coach, but I mean that's like the baseballiest baseball guy you can find. He's
6: all yeah, baseball. he's he's wonderful, <laughs> and uh, he's got this great Boston accent. Like it's uh, it, it, he is a perfect match for that school. Uh, he's done an awful lot for them in in the he's been there. I believe a decade now, and yeah. um, you know it, it's great to see that they've been able to rebound because they they had a couple tough years there. They've had some near misses, uh, you know, since they made that super regional run in 2016. But they um, they they have really done a, a great job this year, you know, putting together a really strong resume and uh, competing in a in a tough ACC.
3: So, Teddy, the rallying cry, thanks to Tim Elko for Ole Miss, as the Rebels made that run to Omaha and ultimately to the national championship, was don't let the Rebs get hot. I'm wondering if Tennessee should see about renting that phrase from Ole Miss and going with <laughs> don't let the Vols get hot. Considering what we have seen from them over the last three weeks, I think we've all kind of looked at it and like, you know, how have they been as bad as they've been because there's so much talent. And now we look up and not only they probably going to be in the postseason, they absolutely could play their way back into a hosting spot.
6: Yeah, they, they certainly could. They they didn't fall quite as far as Ole Miss did last year, uh, but they have just come storming back. They were 10 They were 5-10 in true, the league. It's true. Uh, they, they've come storming back the last two weeks, though. Uh, now they're 11-10, and 10, and they swept Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt hadn't had a series loss all season before that happened. Um, you know, they, they really took it to Mississippi state a week ago and, uh, now they head down to Georgia and that's a tricky one. Arkansas found that out a couple weeks ago, but, um, you know, I feel like Tennessee has a reasonable, sh- like their, their finishing schedule is not terribly hard. It's not the easiest. It's not the hardest. It, it, it just is in the SEC. Uh, but if they can win at least if they can win five, six games, in that stretch, they're they're going to be right there. Their RPI is already back up to sixteen, and uh, I mean, it's not a team I'd want to face right now.
3: I mean, if they win six more, they're seventeen and thirteen.
6: That gets you a host spot yep. if you're in the
3: SEC, doesn't
6: it? I, I would think so. I mean, LSU had seventeen last year and didn't host, but where Tennessee's RPI is is going to mm-hmm. make it. Yeah, if they win, if they win six, uh, I, I would venture guess that there'd be a, a Knoxville regional again this year.
3: Teddy, kind of a unique situation this week in college baseball with Mississippi State making a uh, a change or dismissing Scott Foxhall as their pitching coach with three weeks left in the regular season. Um, we have had trouble coming up with uh, an example of when that has happened in, in college baseball uh, when it's just based on performance and not based on some sort of scandal. Uh, it, it doesn't really happen very often. What was your reaction to uh, to that decision by Chris Lamonis and and Mississippi State's athletics department?
6: Yeah, it's definitely an unusual one in college baseball. I, I guess my first reaction was that, you know, I've had some conversations um, with people in the coaching and agent kind of world over the last year about how the transfer portal is changing things and how it seems like, you know, earlier moves might become more common. You know, we saw Tulane fire uh, Travis Jewett last year at the head coaching level with a, like a week left in the season um, and I feel like maybe that's a little bit of what's happening here is that they want to, you know, be able to, before the portal opens, they want to be able to tell uh, folks either that they have a clear direction and that they've made a new hire or that, like, hey, we're working on it and this is this is what we're thinking. And I, I, I don't know whether this is going to become more common, but I have a feeling that it, this is not going to be the last time you're going to see something like this. It's unfortunate that it came to that uh, for Foxhall and for Mississippi State. You know, Scott's one of the great people in college baseball, as I'm, I'm sure you've talked about plenty. No doubt. Uh, but you know, it's uh, the performance is uh, is part of the job these days, and college baseball didn't used to be like that. But you know, as as interest and money and, and investment have grown, so too have uh, have you know the expectations, and, and this this is what comes with all of that.
3: Teddy Southern Miss is twenty nine and fifteen overall. They are currently second in the Sun Belt. RPI is, I think, twenty eight right now. What are we doing with this Southern Miss team right now? They, they they had the weekend series a couple of weeks ago against Coastal Carolina. They were able to salvage that Sunday game. Did they lose the opportunity to host when they lost that series? Could Southern Miss still play its way into a host? Are they a solid two somewhere? What do you think with the Golden Eagle Scott Berry's Club?
6: I think that they're probably a solid two. Uh, I, I think that they—it's probably too much to ask them to get back into the top twenty in RPI, and I don't think that they would be afforded uh, a host if they don't do that. Um, you know, they're not going to catch Coastal to win the Sun Belt don't know that winning the Sun Belt tournament would be enough either so I think you're looking at a solid two and I think if you're Southern Miss you're trying to play yourself away from Baton Rouge because uh that's a very convenient spot to get sent yeah. um <laughs> but obviously for, for obvious reasons I'm sure you would you would not want that uh that that draw if you could avoid it
3: that's where I was going to ask you I mean if if they're uh and I know that I know we seed one through 16, but it's not like we take the twos and we then seed them 17 through 32. It becomes geographic and what makes sense and all those things. What do you think the likelihood is, and I know we don't know from year to year with exactly how a committee is going to handle a certain team, that it is Baton Rouge or Gainesville or Fayetteville, not they get sent to Boston or stores or wherever.
6: I think it's more likely that they stay uh, because you know I, I put the projections together every week, and you know you have to you have to fit this geographic puzzle into it. Like you said, it's not it's not a pure seating situation, and if the the West Coast teams, the Pac-12 is going to get uh, you know five six bids this year, and they become the teams that you really have to ship somewhere because they can't go to the West Coast regionals because they can't be in a Pac-12 hosted regional. So a team that's in the South that has reasonable geographic, uh, you know, just places it can go like Gainesville, like Baton Rouge, like Nashville, like like Fayetteville, uh, it's probably going to end up in one of those. And, you know, it's a difficult puzzle uh, that the committee has to work out. I wish that Maybe geography wasn't as emphasized as it is, but they yeah. do like to emphasize that. They do like to and it's good for fans because you get to travel. it's easier that way, but um, you know, sometimes I wish that it could be a little uh, a little bit more seated than what it is today.
3: Hey, only 30 seconds left, so maybe we don't really have time for this. Would it be good if we just seated this 1 through 64 said, look, I'm sorry if you're in the same conference, that's just how it works. We're going one through 64, the one gets the weakest two, the strongest three, and the weakest four, and so on all the way down the line.
6: I like it. I think you'd find a lot of people that like it. I know that some people wish it was even more regional than it was today, though, um, mm. and that they could uh, you know, just have it the way it was uh, before the super regional era. So there, there are points on both sides. I would prefer to see it seated further out, though.
3: All right. Teddy, thanks as always. Great catching up. Absolutely. Thank you. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. At Ted Cahill on Twitter, he joined us on the Farm Bureau guest
0: line. Back to Sports Talk Mississippi.
3: It doesn't get any better than this.
0: On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Conversation, as always, with uh, with Teddy Cahill. I'll throw at you guys what I threw at him there at the end. I wish we'd had a little more time to, uh, to expound on that. So we know that a few years ago, we went to a 1 through 16 seeding for the 1 seeds in the tournament. In the past, they seeded the top 8, and then they just kind of grouped everything together after that. Now we go 1 through 16, and then it's just kind of, piece together after that we know that the 1 and the 16 are paired up in a super regional round those spots of the bracket and 2 and 15 and you know up till you get to 8 and 9 and so forth that, that that's how it works when you have bracket play would you prefer because right now conferences are protected right LSU cannot have another SEC team in the Baton Rouge regional North Carolina, if they host in Chapel Hill, cannot have another ACC team in the Chapel Hill Regional. Uh, Wake Forest would be a better example than North Carolina. It looks like they're going to be a number two, but you get the point. Would you prefer to do away with the protecting conferences and multiple teams from a single league being in a single regional and instead take... All 64 teams, and whatever your criteria is, whether it's RPI or whatever, seed them one through 64, where the number one seed, you kind of snake draft it, gets the weakest number two seed, the strongest number three seed, and the weakest number four seed. And then you work your way down to the point where the 16 seed would get the strongest number two two seed the weakest number three seed and the strongest number four seed and then you would fill in you know you, you work that based on seedings one through 64 do you like that idea
2: doesn't really bother me i i think it's okay i mean i feel like it's a pretty good setup now because I, you do try to want to try to avoid because i you know there would be regionals. That, I mean, and, and look, for us on this show, it would be great to have a regional that, you know, you have a year where State's really good, Ole Miss is, is good, and Southern's good. So you get State hosting and Ole Miss and Southern come to, you know, you're talking about doing it regionally, regionally. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that at all. But at the same time, you know, I, I, do, do, I do think they, they, they do this tournament sometimes with the idea of trying to, you know, Put different teams in different areas to try to expand the game a little bit, and so to give you know teams opportunities to to you know be on be in places they wouldn't normally be. So I don't really I don't know. It feels like it's not a it's not a broken system by any stretch of the imagination. It's a good system. I, I wouldn't mind a little tweaking though.
3: But I would say the flip side of that is we also see teams that kind of get pigeonholed a little bit, right? If Southern Miss isn't hosting. They're going to go to Baton Rouge. But they're a postseason team. They're going to Oxford, or they're going to Baton yeah. Rouge.
2: They've never come to Starkville for postseason, I don't believe. Oddly enough.
3: But uh, so, well, they've been to they've been to Ole Miss three times, four times? Something like that. And, and Ole Miss was there
4: last year. Sure. But but that was different because that was a super regional. It was. It's it just... That, that happens too much in the college baseball postseason. Familiar teams are playing each other too much. Feels like Mississippi State and
3: Florida State have been paired together a ton. You know, it feels like Auburn and Georgia Tech have been paired together a yeah. ton through the years. And maybe that's okay. I mean, if Bethune-Cookman qualifies for the postseason, they know that unless something weird happens... They're either going to Gainesville, Coral Gables, or Tallahassee. Now, there was one year where Bethune-Cookman got sent to Oxford as the four seed. That was a long time ago. But generally yeah. speaking, Bethune-Cookman, a Florida team that's going to be a four seed, is getting sent to one of those three places as the four seed. Yeah,
2: if, if Jackson State or Alcorn or Valley wins the swack. They're coming to Starkville, Oxford, or Hattiesburg, depending on who's hosting. There's no getting around that.
3: We saw Jackson State end up in the Lafayette Regional several years ago. Mm -hmm. Was Mississippi State in that one also? Yeah. Yes.
4: And and Jackson State actually beat Lafayette in game one. They did. You almost had Mississippi State at Ole Miss. You could have. You could have had Mississippi would have been State, State at, at Ole Miss.
2: if State had won that regional? Yeah. Could
4: you imagine? Um, yep. Nobody would be excited about that. Everybody would just be stressed beyond measure. I, I mean,
2: <laughs> that's a, definitely a one where the pain of losing is double yeah. the
4: joy of winning. But it, it doesn't happen enough, and it could. Remember, speaking of 2014, when Washington was the two at Ole Miss, and mm-hmm. there was oh, a couple hundred Washington fans went there and, and had a ball. Because they had no idea that existed in college baseball. Didn't have a clue.
3: Greg Bell covered Washington for like the Seattle Times or something like that and did as good a job as any beat reporter has ever done covering a road team in the Oxford yeah. Regional. I still follow the guy on Twitter. Like he covers the Seahawks now.
4: Oh, good for him. That's uh, definitely, with all due respect to college baseball, that is definitely a promotion. Um,
3: Interestingly enough, Washington has been to the Oxford Regional twice. Yeah. They also did it with Tim Lincecum back in like 2005 or something.
4: Gala would not like what Tim Lincecum gifted his dad when he got his big contracts, by the way. It was, a was back, it, uh, it was a backpack full of something. Mm, <laughs> hey, Dad, what was it? Mm, marijuana. Yeah, backpack full of it. But no, I mean, so, so those
5: Washington. They just sent
2: him out to that field y'all have with all the assault rifle guards sitting around and just like,
3: just get what you need. Um. But they got to, to take that home with them. I don't think there are assault rifle guards around the medicinal medical marijuana
4: field. They, they do have the guard I've towers. i heard that they,
3: uh, yeah, they have guard towers actually, out there. I because I think there's just radio wire. I've heard
2: back in the old days that like kids would take fishing poles over there and just throw it over the wall,
3: come back with whatever you got. I, I have heard that large treble hooks on the end of fishing line would get thrown over and see what you could snatch. Love that!
4: Never seen it happen. Hey, college is for learning and adapting, right? Lesson was taught that day. That if there's a barrier in between you and what you want, you adapt and overcome, and also get high afterwards. What was the
3: larger point that you were making? My point
4: was, if you diversify who gets to go where, you have more of those situations for college baseball, where a group of Washington fans went home and said, "Hey, guys, baseball in the South rules." And then, you know, maybe a program's like, that looked like fun. We should invest a little bit in baseball. Let's put a platform in the outfield. Let people bring coolers in. Make it a hangout spot. It's not going to be 15,000 people like what show up uh, to a Mississippi State game in Starkville. We get 5,000 people to go to a baseball game on a nice Saturday afternoon. Have a little environment. Put a couple grills out there. Let them bring one if they want to. And suddenly you're starting to establish a culture that extends beyond... 10 programs in the South for college baseball. That's how these things start. You let other people see how much fun it is in the fun places. Instead, it's mostly the same teams getting to see. Imagine if it was Marshall or Old Dominion that played in Oxford instead of Southern Miss. Southern Miss fans know they have a great baseball environment. They they get it, and they do it really well. Old Dominion doesn't have that. What if they came down and saw, hey, this is awesome. Let's do that, too. That's how you grow a game. It was super cool when Maine came years ago.
3: The teams that go to Starkville. It's terrible. Oh, baseball. 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 Yeah, that, yeah. sorry, that baseball. That's fine. Teams always rave about going to Starkville for that regional and the way they're treated yeah. by fans and the feeding and, them and then hanging out after the, their game and all of the, the cool stuff. And think about
2: state. Like, when they've traveled, when they've been two seeds or three seeds, they've been in Tallahassee like five times. Mm-hmm. Been to Miami a couple times. Where else have they been? They've been to Clemson once, I think. Just sent, you know, sent state out west one year.
3: Yeah. You've seen that happen with LSU once or twice. get sent to Oregon State for a regional a couple of years ago. That's cool. I think. Send an SEC team to Stanford. Stanford yeah. might might be like, uh, can we not? But spread it out. I mean, if Tennessee ends up as a two-seed, is it unfair to send them to Winston-Salem to be the two-seed in Wake Forest Regional? Or is it like, sorry, they got to go somewhere? I don't know. Maybe you send them to Durham to be the two-seed in Dukes Regional. I think Tennessee's going to play themselves
4: into a host, though. What about you guys buy Wake Forest. That? What SEC team gets sent there? Well, I mean, that's what I said
3: just a second ago. Yeah. If you send, them to Winston, send yeah. Tennessee to Winston-Salem.
4: But to your point, I don't think it's going to be Tennessee, so who will it be? Ah, uh, could be Auburn. Ooh. Maybe. Don't, don't let Butch get hot. He has a propensity of doing that.
2: This is the down year. They go every other year. Ah.
3: But, but But here's the thing, right? I don't know how many two-seeds you've got out of the SEC. I think Kentucky might end up falling into a two-seed. Alabama could be a two-seed somewhere. Auburn, Texas, A&M, those are possibilities. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back with you after this.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi.
3: Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. We were talking about environments in baseball a second ago. This might be an unpopular opinion with uh, some of our friends, one state to the southwest. Man, they swung and missed on Alec Box Stadium. Maybe they just built it a little too early. Maybe there were budget constraints. When people rave, Alec Box, Alec Box. It's just... It's not very good. It's big, and it holds a lot of people, but the stadium itself is terrible. Now, the guts of the stadium, LSU's locker room, the museum for LSU baseball, all that stuff, it's really, really nice. But the stadium itself is crap. It's a bunch of metal bleachers with a few thousand chair back seats. Now, if I were Scott Woodward, the athletics director at LSU, and I had the money to do it, I'd do a redo on that. You're obviously not going to tear it down. It's not old enough to tear down. But rip out all the stupid bleachers and replace them with chairbacks and go higher down the lines and then rip out all the stupid bleachers in the outfield and build that thing up. Can you imagine if, with the exception of where the batter's eye is, LSU went foul pole to foul pole with tiered party seating? Like a variation of what is in Starkville and what is in Oxford? It, I mean, I know you—you got it's, it's flat right there, so you've got to build it up. You have to bring in a ton of dirt and do a ton of brickwork and all that good stuff. Why wouldn't they do that and get rid of the Mickey Mouse bleachers in the outfield and make that stadium, that, that along with Mississippi State, is supposed to be a cathedral in college baseball. It's not. It's an erector set.
4: I just don't understand why. It does look like they went cheap on it, doesn't it? Oh, no doubt. And they spent like $30 million on it. So they didn't go cheap on it, but that's half of what Mississippi State spent to build their stadium. Significantly less than what Oklahoma State spent to build theirs. Different different years and inflation and stuff, but still. It's less than what Ole Miss has spent with combined renovations to
3: get Swayze to where it is, and there's another one on the books. I just, I I don't get it. But that that was not meant to be like a tear LSU down. I I know it kind of sounded like that. but I'll always accept
4: that on this program.
3: But what if, what if they created the outfield party scenario
4: in that place of all well, places? So now, because you mentioned Mississippi State's done with uh, baseball stadium building for now, and the, the outfield sections look phenomenal, and and the the ability to customize your space and have girls and stuff is outstanding. Old Miss's environment and and what you can do out there is outstanding. But the structure is not. I think,
2: I think Richard and I are thinking the exact same thing right this second. What? But I'm pretty sure you said have girls out there. I said grills. No, I think you said
3: girls.
4: Oh, <laughs> you, said girls. you guys are both in your 40s. Can you act not like children? No, 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 no
3: I no, won't. No. When I misspeak, you guys are quick to say no. No, that's what you said. Run the tape back. I, I think we both heard girls. Well, they're but out grills, there too. Yes. Hey, man, they're there are girls out, out, there, out there, there, there too. 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 <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah.
4: But, but, uh, like the student section, Ole Miss is awesome because there's 4,000 students and they're not and they yell and all that, but it's far away from the fence and it's just like, you know, cinder blocks and rocks out there. Mm -hmm. When they do that renovation, whenever that day comes, which thanks, Joe, who knows when, um, they have an opportunity. (laughs) Well played. They have an opportunity to
3: make that what you're describing. That's what they're going to do.
4: Like that's already looking, been decided. I'm looking forward to seeing what that will ultimately look like because right now, it, it honestly it leaves it. a they're lot to it be desired. In right field right and now. In left field. That's, they're, they're bringing the
3: outfield all the way down to the fence, the outfield terraces, in right field and left field, and they're taking it almost all the way to center field. It's going to be spectacular when it's done. Whenever. And then eventually, they're going to do the building behind right field with some yeah. premium seating up there in the indoor center and all that
4: good stuff. Yeah, they have an opportunity to take Swayze from really, you know, it's a great atmosphere, don't get me wrong. It's one of the best in college baseball and dramatically improve on something that's already really, really good.
3: It's going to take it from a really cool environment to what should be a more intimidating environment. Look, if, I mean, hey, Dad, we've all been in Starfield, right, for one of those big weekends. Uh-huh. And not only is the crowd big, but it feels intimidating because it's just right on top of you. You look at that student section and you got, you know, 130 guys that are like hanging their arms over the outfield fence. I mean, just right on top of you. There's a big difference in that and being separated by a road and a hill and 75 feet. Big difference. And so if you bring that thing 50, 75 feet closer all the way
4: down to the wall, who? Uh, on those midweek nights, though, when there's still a couple thousand students out there and, and just a few hundred in the stadium, uh, <laughs> there's going to be some things that make their way
1: <laughs> to yeah, the stands well, that, that yeah,
4: you, you, you don't want little, little Johnny to, to hear. Hmm. Some unpleasant thing about things about the right fielder and center fielder's girlfriends. Hey,
3: Dad, that is from, uh, we love you, and that is from Ole Miss fans. Ceasefire text line. Well, I appreciate that. Um, what's wrong with girls and girls?
4: Hey, nothing. Again, yeah, nothing. Uh, you, uh, glad they're out there, too. We we got a lot of, I heard, mm-hmm. I heard girls. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Okay. Girls,
0: girls, you can't,
4: girls. You know, you are permitted to bring them to the game with you if you'd like. And they are also it's permitted to go to the games on their very they go own. All you. by themselves. Look at Mississippi State being progressive. That's awesome. <laughs> Jeez. not allowed at Ole Miss. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Seaspire uh, text line. It feels like we should read this. Hey, Dad. Didn't get a chance to tune in last night. Just wanted to reach out and say that I am so sorry for what my arsenal did to your Chelsea yesterday.
4: Richard, read the headline. Read the headline. Just, w- what in, in the notes? I said you got to read this headline for Rich for Hey Dad. Just click on it and read oh, it. Oh, I'm
3: sorry. I got I got to pull it up.
4: Yeah, just read it. Mean, I, I
3: have it open, but I've got to scroll to that. And then, yeah,
4: <sighs> yeah. You just read it verbatim. And for those of you that don't know, this is Brian Haydad's favorite team.
3: This is from the New York Times Twitter account from the Athletic FC. Chelsea has gone from being the most disappointing team in the Premier League to simply the worst. They have established themselves as the antidote to every team's confidence crisis except their own.
2: (laughs) How bad is Arsenal? You let us score on you. Boom, roasted. My goodness. That'll be the goal of the month. Because mm. it'll be the only goal we score this month. Lakers won, though.
3: See text fun. line. Girls and grills are both smoking hot at Swayze. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> and it, at and it Diddy Noble, no doubt.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun last night. I don't know if you're getting 30 and 20 from Anthony Davis every game this series, but the, the Warriors are not built to defend him well. No. That was a fun game last night. Also,
3: But that's, that, the, but that's the question with AD. you got to have him play at that level every single game. Yep. And hmm. if he does, Lakers are probably winning the series. Championship. Most watched second-round
4: game in a decade,
3: by, by the way. By the way, did you guys happen to watch any of the, the Knicks game, the Knicks-Heat game before the yeah. Celtics-Warriors game? I, did
5: the
3: I didn't see that. The a I didn't the contrast between Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, and Chase Center, the new home of the Golden State Warriors, it was like... I, I don't even know how you describe... It was like an LSU football game versus a Stanford football game. Great comparison. Exactly how it looked. I mean, they are... like. If there are 300 floor seats in Madison Square Garden, there were 500 people in those 300 floor seats. I mean, they were like draped all over each other, and you know, just. And then you watch the the one in Golden State; it's just kind of sterile. And I thought, well, you're probably in a much nicer building in San Fran than you were at Oracle over in Oakland. I understand the move; I get it. But they lost something in terms of a home court advantage when they moved from Oracle. To Chase Center, the new building. And interestingly enough, the Los Angeles Lakers have an unbelievable home court advantage. They figured out how to take a brand new arena, which Staples Center is like 20 years or whatever it is now, crypto.com arena or whatever. I mean, they have turned it, it's not new anymore, but it's still a palace. That feels more like Madison Square Garden than, like, San Francisco. Sports Talk Mississippi. See Aaron Rodgers? Courtside last night? (laughs) Now that he's a New Yorker, I guess?
0: We'll be back right after this.
1: Jackson 97.3.
0: You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. 888-808-8637 on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Hey Dad, do you want to give uh, me a read that one more
2: time? Together, that Still the need I don't know. I just I, I had know. to hear it too. I had to hear it too uh, when I dropped my daughter off. Uh, my my youngest daughter off, the one of the teachers who's always working carpools, a big Arsenal fan, and he knows I'm a Chelsea guy. I pulled up and he just had three fingers on one hand and one on the other. And just rolled down the window I was like, how terrible are y'all? We scored. <laughs>
3: Like, I feel like we won. We um, we need to make mention of this. Uh, sad news today for a former great Southern Miss athlete. Southern Miss Athletic Department sent out a release today mourning the death, the passing of former Golden Eagle track and field star and Olympian, Tori Bowie. She died on Tuesday. Once the fastest man in the world, she won the 100 meter dash during the 2017 World Track and Field Championships in London. Three time Olympic medalist in the 2016 Rio Summer Games. She won a silver, a bronze, and then a gold in the 4x100. Uh, she lettered four seasons in track and field at Southern Miss from 2009 to 2012 as a freshman. I mean, she just tore it up. It was, I mean, it was just year after year after year after year. She holds the distinction of being the last American female to win the 100 meter race on an international stage when she did that in 2017. What we just mentioned a moment ago, Jeremy McClain, the idiot, Southern Miss says, we are heartbroken to learn of the tragic passing of Tori Bowie. She represented the Golden Eagle spirit in so many ways and was an inspiration to many of our student athletes. Our thoughts and prayers are with her family during this difficult time. And the fact is, there aren't a ton of details that are available. Her management team put out a statement that said, We're devastated to share the very sad news that Tori Bowie has passed away. We've lost a client, a dear friend, a daughter, and a sister. Tori was a champion, a beacon of light that shined so bright. We're truly heartbroken, and our prayers are with the family and friends. Uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department in Orlando, Florida responded earlier. uh, I'm sorry, yesterday afternoon to a home for a well-being check of a woman in her 30s who had not been seen or heard of in several days, heard from in several days. The sheriff's office wrote that a woman tentatively identified as Tori Bowie was found dead in the home, and there were no signs of foul play. USA Track and Field tweeted out, they were deeply saddened to hear the passing of Tori Bowie, a three-time Olympic medalist and two-time world champion. Her impact on the sport is immeasurable, and she will be missed greatly. You may remember remember that 4x100 from, from the 2016 Olympics. I actually went back and rewatched it a little while ago. She ran the anchor leg in that. It was Tiana Bartoletta, Allison Felix, English Gardner, and Tori Bowie. And when I tell you she ran away in that anchor leg from the rest of the field, I mean, there was a lead at the, the handoff of the baton for the final 100 meters, and she just crushed it down that stretch across the finish line. Our uh, our condolences go to the uh, family and friends in the Southern Miss community as well in the passing of Tori Bowie. Yeah, Tr- track and field athletes at that level are so different.
4: It's crazy. And her story, uh, Patrick McGee shared uh, earlier, a, a profile he did on her. And, and high school uh, didn't have a, a track. Had a coach on on pavement, mark out 100 and 200 meters. And uh, I mean the the roots to, to get to the top of the world when a lot of athletes are like in Eugene, Oregon, training at the best facilities that the world can come up with. She became the fastest in the world during her early teens and mid to late teens, running on pavement that was marked off by somebody that cared about her. I just built different
3: incredible. I admittedly have not spent a lot of time at track meets. That changed a little bit earlier this spring when my daughter was running track and my eyes were opened I mean these were 7th and 8th graders that were running. This wasn't even high school track and the athleticism that you see in some of those young women and young men is incredible and then when you when you extrapolate that out to college track and field athletes, national team track and field athletes, Olympic medalists, it's a different deal. I mean, you, you you think about Tori Bowie and what she has meant to Southern Miss Athletics. You think about so many of the track and field Olympians that have been at Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, a guy like Sam Kendricks, who's been a multiple-time world champion and, like, what, a, a silver medalist in the Olympics. Uh, Brittany Reese and and what she's done, and so many others. Bad idea to start calling names of track and field athletes. Just kind of a couple right there off the top of the head. It's incredible. Just absolutely incredible. 5 o'clock hour is coming up next. We'll talk with Luke Johnson a little bit later in the 5 o'clock hour. We've got the college football fix and a whole lot more with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, from the Pearl River Resort Studios. We'll be right back.
0: Super Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi team with live reports from games and practices, plus exclusive interviews. Weekday afternoons starting at 3 on supertalk.fm, the Super Talk Mississippi app, and always live on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station.
3: Last hour of the Wednesday edition of Sports Talk Mississippi from the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort, the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. It's getting a little better every day because it's been such a cool spring. It's kind of taken like all the golf courses a little longer to green in this year. If you're talking about Bermuda or Zoysia, whichever it is. It's just it's taken a little bit longer, but we are close. Even Haydad's yard is not as plush. And thick and carpety green as it normally is. It's just taking a little longer, but Dancing Rabbit Golf Club getting just a little bit better every single day. Two courses, the oaks and the azaleas. All the, the flowers are in bloom. They've all greened up. Everything looks good. They've redone the bunkers. Both 18 hole championship courses that you can play. And you can play them by going online to dancingrabbitgolf.com, booking your tea time or planning your trip today, if you don't see exactly the option that you're looking for on their website, give them a call. They would be more than happy to help you in the pro shop, plan your trip, whether it's going to be staying in the the cottages right there above the clubhouse at Dancing Rabbit or at the Dancing Rabbit Inn or at the Golden Moon and Silver Star. you, you got a lot of options for places to stay, places to eat, places to play, the whole deal at Dancing Rabbit, part of Pearl River Resort. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, Brian Haydad, thanks as always for being with us. You can join us on the Ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. Seaspire.com slash business. Let's do it! College football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built for and about the latest offers from Ford. But don't stop there. Test drive the vehicle that you're interested in at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Do it today or tomorrow or this weekend. You'll be glad you did. All right, Borky. You have a spring football is over, but topic. Yeah, I was, T- it
4: up. I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, See what th- I did there, there, there's, there's yeah, T- it yeah. Uh, th- there's a lot of you know <laughs> post spring content, quarterback rankings that are bad. I saw some running or wide receiver rankings today that were less bad. Uh, but guess who was overrated? Texas. Uh, imagine that. But anyway, not what you learned out of the SEC this spring. But has anything happened? that has changed the way you think about the league, its standing, the pecking order, whatever, now going into this season? Has anything happened this spring that has changed the way you look at the league going into this season?
3: I know it sounds like I'm cheating off of your paper. I I get that. I read the question, and then I didn't read the rest of what you put in there immediately, and then I looked. I was like, oh, maybe it's his idea. The one thing that stands out to me more than anything else, and there is a very real possibility that I, and maybe you guys, and everybody else has proven completely wrong on this. The lack of an emergence of a quarterback that Nick Saban felt comfortable with in spring at Alabama changes the way I look at Alabama a little bit. Now, the last time they had a quarterback, like a a big-time quarterback competition that went to the season where Nick Saban was hush-hush about it at media days and you know just kind of said all the things, we were later introduced to Jalen Hurts. And I know they've had competition since then, Cooper Bateman and whoever else was in that group where they never really figured it out that year. And that team won a title, didn't it? Yeah. The 2015 team at Alabama won a title which is crazy to think about. But neither Ty Simpson nor Jalen Milrow did anything, and they bring in Tyler Buckner, who was okay at Notre Dame. And I know that he dealt with some injuries. But maybe Tyler Buckner elevates his game because of who is around him at Alabama. It's altogether possible. But don't try and sell me today on Tyler Butner as an elite quarterback simply because he was the best available quarterback in the portal coming out of spring. That's what it was, right? Alabama went and got the best available quarterback in the portal coming out of spring because they did not believe in what they had. We've seen that before. We've seen a coach realize in a game setting that what he has next is not good enough to win games, and so he goes out and gets a quarterback. But not when there's such a limited time frame and a limited availability of quarterbacks. What I'm referring to is Hugh Freeze. When Ole Miss played that game at Arkansas without Bo Wallace, or Bo Wallace got hurt, and it was what, Ryan Buchanan and Devontae Kincaid? And they watched that, Hugh Freeze, and his staff, watch that thing unfold. And they're like, uh, we got to have a quarterback for next year.
4: And they went and got Chad Kelly. And then tried and, to pretend that there was a competition. There yeah, was not. Yeah, stop it, stop it. I mean,
3: yeah, whatever. There was not. And it worked out quite nicely. Thank you very much. Maybe this turns out to be the exact same thing for Alabama. But Alabama took Tyler Buckner because he was the best available quarterback at the time, and they needed to go get a quarterback. There were no other options. Malik Murphy from Texas didn't jump into the transfer portal. K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas didn't jump into the transfer portal. Spencer Sanders or Jackson Dart or whatever didn't jump. Drake May. Drake May didn't jump into the transfer portal. So, here we are. And so that makes me think about Alabama a little bit differently. And, oh, by the way, they also don't have Jameer Gibbs. And they also had another half dozen players who were drafted. I mean, I tend to think they're going to figure it out running back. I think they'll be okay on the offensive line. And I think their defense is going to be okay. But, oh, by the way, they've also got a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. This is a year where it feels a little bit different to me at Alabama, but the quarterback thing is what it kind of kind of pushed it over the edge for me.
2: So it didn't change it for me because I told you a couple months back that I think I'm going to predict LSU to win the West, and, and now you're maybe maybe more confident in that pick. But the thing I'm I'm interested in, and I brought it up a couple times here, is is how different Alabama is than Georgia on this. Alabama has two, a four-star and a five-star high school quarterback they recruited, and they don't believe they've developed to the point that they can just hand the, the, the offense over to them. Whereas at Georgia, they're going to go with one of their guys. They, they aren't looking in the transfer portal. They've got a four-star, five-star kid, Carson Beck, Beck over there. He's going to be the guy. And if he's not, it's going to be another one of their four-star, five-star guys. Uh, um, Brock, I think it's Vandergriff is his name.
3: Mm -hmm. Carson Beck, Who my guess
2: is if he could enter the portal and go to an SEC school, would be at Auburn or Alabama or Florida tomorrow and be their starter. So I think it's interesting to see that that Georgia has sort of overtaken Alabama in terms of the place where, you know, talking about development – that Alabama doesn't feel like they've done a good enough job. And maybe, maybe that's on Bill O'Brien, who's an NFL guy, and, you know, maybe he didn't you know development wasn't really his thing. But it's interesting to me that that Georgia is, is willing to, to just hand the reins over to their next guy, and Alabama feels like they had to go outside the
3: family. Borky, what do you make of this message? He will either be Joe Burrow or just
4: okay. Ah, he did not have Joe Burrow's ability. He, he's played too much. Nobody got to see Joe Burrow until he got to LSU. We've seen Buckner. We we know what Burrow he can do. was also average his first year. Yeah, but remember he joined the team like with 2 weeks before the season began.
2: I remember having that that take and getting ridden off this show.
3: No. Not by us. You were still you were still holding by on to that, that guy that in the take. middle. You were still holding on to no. that take as he was walking off the stage with the Heisman trophy.
2: No. I, I no, I wasn't. That was all preseason 2019, where I was like, "He's not. He hasn't done anything that good." And you were killing me for it. Was it? Yes. Yeah.
3: Hey, yes. Yeah. Yes. He got better at the end of that season. Like you saw growth toward the end of the they, year. They, the first six and, games and they of played that year worse were worse competition.
2: He, Go look at the schedule. I mean, it's look, Heydad.
3: Hey, I don't. Ha- I'm not going to apologize for being right, man. I was on the Joe Burrow You just said I was right. before you, just you said were. Way before the you were. The words came out of your mouth. Your mouth the, is where the they came out of. The most prolific quarterbacking season in the history of college football belonged to Joe Burrow, and I kind of told you it was coming, and all you wanted to do was argue with me.
4: Uh, oh, my gosh.
3: Right? You want to hear more of Brian Haydad's ridiculous takes? You can listen to Thunder and Lightning on the radio immediately after this show tonight, 6 o'clock, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Ridiculous takes with Dad. We'll be back. I'll rename the show.
0: Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams with live reports from the games and practices, plus exclusive interviews with coaches, players, and legends from the past. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Just let it play. And I feel
4: like I'm ready to run through a wall, like immediately. Yeah, I Let's saw. Let's go fast. I saw some guys say Hollywood hasn't made any good movies lately, anyway, because you know the writer strike or whatever. Which you know pour one out for Stephen Colbert because I know our audience feels terrible for him. But how can you say that when Top Gun just came out? Hollywood you're hadn't made right. good movies lately? They've all been bad, in, in except fairness, for Top Gun. They, they made it like three
3: years ago. They just finally got around to releasing it. Hey,
4: whatever, man. Let, let's let just be clear. Just, Hollywood is full of bad garbage. Top Gun came out of Hollywood, though. you got to give them credit for that.
2: I'm just glad our writers didn't quit, because I would not know what to say on this show without them.
3: Porky, you're not going anywhere, right? I don't think so. Aren't you
4: Ed's writer, man? As long you know, this is why I like shows like Barry because he writes the show. He doesn't need a team of fifteen writers to do his work for him. He writes the show, and it happens to be brilliant. Told you yesterday, we were uh, happy to welcome a
3: new partner to Sports Talk Mississippi, and that is Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota. Great stuff happening there. First of all, they got a ton of vehicles on the lot right now. It's taken a while to kind of build the inventory back up, but the F 150s are there. They got super duty trucks. They've got explorers. They've got expeditions. There are a couple of Ford Broncos that are out there right now. And then up on the Toyota lot, they've got the new Toyota Crown, which is the kind of crossover. A uh, lot of good stuff. And another good thing, you may not have liked the news that you saw from the Fed today with another interest rate hike. You got good interest rate news for you. If you're looking for a new Toyota truck, an F150, couple of options, 3.9% for 60 months, which is really good in comparison to what it has been, or 0% for 36 months if you're looking to finance it for that time frame. That is on F-150s at Belk Ford in Oxford. doesn't matter if you live in Oxford or near Oxford. You can check them out online at BelkFord.net. You can give their sales team a call, talk to them about what you're looking for. They can either arrange delivery, you can come and pick it up. They will take good care of you. I will personally... Vouch for that. I will personally guarantee it. It's where I shop for vehicles. It's where I've been shopping vehicles uh, for vehicles for a really, really long time. Check them out online at BelkFord.net or on Highway 6 West in Oxford. That's BelkFord and Oxford Toyota. We are glad to be with you this afternoon. Dwayne and Brandon says, I knew Joe was going to be special his first year at LSU when he changed the play at the line and they scored a touchdown. Dwayne, why did that make you know that he was going to be special?
2: I mean, you know, people do that all the time.
3: And, and and I'm not I'm not being critical when I say that, but like that's kind of one of the responsibilities of a quarterback. You got a play call that is not going to work against a given defense. You check to a play that you think will work, and then you execute it. Maybe it's the recognition. I, I I don't know the specific play you're talking about, so that's fair. We got another message. Don't count Bama out yet. Georgia just won two natties with a Juco transfer from Ellisville. That's
4: Brian in Laurel. We, we need to talk about that first line, though. Don't count Bama out yet. Who's counting them out? Calling somebody vulnerable does not mean that they're still not, like, Among the best. It's weird. Like, RG3. Okay, This is how ridiculous college football media is. The ACC network quoted and made a graphic out of this RG3 thing where he says, Clemson will actually shock the nation and be in the run for a national championship. The the program that has won double-digit games for 12 consecutive seasons is going to shock the world by being good again? Same thing with this. Hey, Alabama looks vulnerable here, like they did a year ago. Remember how many one-score games that they won and also lost? They look vulnerable again. Oh, don't cut out Alabama. We're not. We're just saying that they don't look like they are invincible. Clemson won two recently. national championships since 2016. Yes. Is it shocking the world? <laughs> I mean, come on, RG3. And he gets paid more, probably more than three of us combined, which is just depressing when, when you've got takes like that. But nobody's counting out Alabama. Georgia fans are mad at Barrett elite today because in his overreactions, post-spring overreactions column where he applies something, a worst-case scenario to every team in the SEC, he said Georgia's not going to win the East. That's not what he thinks is going to happen. That's a worst-case scenario kind of deal. His for Ole Miss, for example, was the quarterback situation is going to cause internal strife on the team, and, and you'll know by September when they underachieve. That's not what he actually thinks is going to happen. It's just, hey, worst-case scenario, eh, as what's going to happen. Georgia fans are like, oh, you disrespect us. Everybody's disrespecting us. Give me a break. The
2: <laughs> He, he really didn't have much of an overreaction for State. No, he's complimentary <laughs> of Mississippi it State. Was, it, it was, defense will be the identity of the Bulldogs. Why is that an overreaction? Your head coach was the defensive coordinator he, last he's year. He's sick of State That fans, just feels like a
4: reaction. It, he's sick of State fans attacking him all the time. He wanted to throw a bone, pun kind of intended. Well, now I'm, now I'm going to attack him because where's my overreaction? Everybody <laughs> else got one. <laughs> but the point is... The, the SEC West, if you're looking at the West objectively, feels wide open. Now, yes, Alabama and then LSU's rosters are better than the rest of the SEC West. Of course it is. But when you look at Alabama, as Richard laid out earlier, they look vulnerable. That was a team that was vulnerable a year ago. Needed heroics to beat Texas A&M. Ole Miss had a throw to the end zone to beat them in Oxford. Needed a last-second field goal to beat not a good Texas team. And they lost two games. That team lost the Heisman Trophy winner and the best defensive player in the game. Also, they're running back and a handful of other guys. LSU, despite winning the West a year ago and having a roster that people seem to really like, they lost some pieces offensively. That, that was a, a, a good team, a very good team. Not a great one a year ago. Arkansas, if he stays healthy, has a really high-level quarterback. Really high-level quarterbacks can win games in the SEC. Texas A&M has the best roster that money can buy until they all transfer out. Oh, don't say that. Oh, I forgot, yeah. But but A&M's got a roster filled with talent. Talent wins football games. Mississippi State has a front six that's the most underrated in the SEC in a veteran quarterback. Ole Miss has an offense with personnel that can score with anybody. Now, the other side of the ball is still a massive question mark, but you get my point. On down the list, everybody in the West has something that's going for them that's, hey, on a given day, they can beat anybody. And on a given day, they can lose to anybody. Alabama's going to have a better season than Ole Miss in Mississippi State, more likely than not. But if you're telling me that there's no shot, that they could lose to either one of those teams, I think you're crazy.
3: Brian says, counting Alabama out means they will be out of the top five. Somebody says, remember Saban won a championship with Jake Coker at quarterback and won the SEC with Blake Sims.
2: Yeah, he did. The SEC was... I mean, eh. they played Missouri in the SEC championship game. There wasn't another team like Georgia in the conference that year.
3: Blake Sims did a really good job at quarterback, and Lane really gives him credit for his development as well. Yeah. Converted running back.
2: I remember who, who did Alabama beat in 14. I don't remember. And
4: that don't that remember was nine was. years ago. Think about how much has yeah. changed since then.
3: Mm hmm. No, no doubt. I know who they lost to in 14. I'm sure you do. If I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember who won the East that year. Was it Florida? No, not in fourteen with Muschamp there. Maybe it was Georgia. I don't know.
3: That wasn't the weird year that South Carolina. The twenty
4: fourteen SEC
3: championship no, game had Missouri,
4: and it was okay, forty two to thirteen. Missouri and Florida won the Hughes, year, didn't they? Right. Yeah, they went 13-14,
2: and then Florida would have won in fifteen. McIlwain's first year, so that's that's the year Coker won the SEC championship.
4: Forty two to thirteen the is the final score in an SEC championship game. I'm so glad
3: hey, the division that hey, look, look up Alabama South Carolina in Cam Newton's year. That was like fifty five to seven or something like that.
2: You have to look up. You'd have to look up Auburn South Carolina, but yeah, that's probably good. Auburn.
3: Happen. What did I say? Alabama. Yeah, a lot of more got knocked out, out the air. Air.
4: in like, the first quarter, and uh, South Carolina wasn't going to win anyway, but that ended the game right there. Hmm. Yeah. More coming up
3: with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. We'll be back right after this.
0: This. This.
3: South Mississippi is brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Visit them online at genteelapparel.com If you haven't at least done that, check out the website genteelapparel.com You can see everything that they've got to offer and if you've been thinking about maybe I should give these guys a try, I haven't tried one of these shirts, I haven't tried a pair of their shorts Spite the bullet and give it a shot If it doesn't work out, eh, no harm done You tried and it didn't work but I think if you try Gentile, you're going to fall in love. The way the shirts feel, with the way they look, with the shorts, with the pants, it's just outstanding. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can find Genteel in addition to their website at Harry Meyer in Meridian, at Landry's on the Square in Oxford, at SF Aldman in Gulfport, at Smith & Company in Greenwood. At Steve's on the Square in Philadelphia, the Country Gentleman in Greenville, and many other places. Sports Talk Mississippi, glad to be in partnership with Genteel Apparel. The Big 12 is looking at playing football and basketball games in Mexico. And I don't know why. Ross Dellinger writes about this at Sports Illustrated. Since Vic 12 has been exploring playing football and men's and women's basketball games in Mexico City and Monterey, Mexico, with a preferred top-ten hoops matchup between Kansas and Houston, according to multiple so- sources, the eighties first started talking about this last fall. They've got tentative plans to hold regular season league games in Mexico City and Monterey. Brett Yormark visited Mexico last week, met with officials, and toured potential sites, including an arena in Mexico City that seats a little over 22,000. A football game in Monterey at Estadio BBVA. It's a 53,000-seat football stadium. So when the NFL says, we're going to play a game in Mexico, we're going to play a game in London, I get it. The NFL is playing with the idea of expanding beyond the borders of the United States. But they are also continuing to try to build a global fan base, not just an American fan base. And it has to do with television and it has to do with merchandise sales and marketing agreements and advertising contracts and all of that stuff. What does the Big Twelve gain by playing games in Mexico City and Monterey, Mexico? What what do they gain? I, like I'm asking that genuinely. The, the the story doesn't point to that. It doesn't say why. It just says that it's something they've been talking about, and it looks like something they're going to move forward with in the 24-25 season for basketball, and as soon as 2025 for football. What what's the end game here?
2: I don't know. The silence I mean, is
3: deafening. I, I mean,
2: I don't. I don't, I don't know. I, I look at it, and you know, it'd be one thing if it's Texas and Oklahoma. You know, if you were sending your big boys down there, you can you can you know branding and, and things of that nature can be said. But I mean, do you really think you're about to turn a bunch of of people in another country into Baylor fans or Kansas State fans? I, I don't. I don't see that happening.
4: By the way, Estadio BBVA, I've never been because I've never been to Monterey, Mexico, looks beautiful, like stunning stadium with mountains in the background, very new, for whatever that's worth. Is the answer as simple as they're trying to make up the difference financially uh, with the SEC and the Big Ten? Because another report came out today that they're going to, uh, they're exploring with their television partners, monetizing, miking up coaches Locker room access, things like that, and that's great content. But the the word monetizing is important. You think this just this is a league that sees the SEC and the Big Ten separating from them so 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 much that they're sitting in a boardroom saying, "Hey guys, we got to find ways to generate revenue beyond what we currently do." If playing a game in Mexico is going to net us an extra. $3 million, then let's go play a game in Mexico because we need as much money as we can get because the gap between the SEC and us and we're in the same put- footprint is just growing and growing and growing and we got to find a way to, to make that money up. I'm glad we got this text.
3: I wanted to address this. People watched Nebraska and Northwestern play in Ireland. Yes, they did. You know what that was? That was two individual schools... Who agreed to play that game with a significant positive financial impact for them. That was not a conference dictating games be played in a foreign country. There's a difference, there's a difference in mandating games and schools opting to do
4: something. Also, that was the first weekend of the season. Would anybody have watched Northwestern Nebraska if it was week three?
3: Yeah. That's a conference. Well, eh, maybe. you're you, Okay. No. That's fair. I mean, it would have been on the Big Ten network. Right.
2: Maybe At the all- 11 a.m. You know?
6: Yeah.
3: I mean, is the play here? They're trying to do a television deal with a Univision? Uh, ESPN Deportes? Something along those lines? I mean, are they they seeking an additional
4: outside-the-continental-United-States television deal? I mean, the NFL has learned that the Mexican people do love American football. Not as much as soccer, but they love it. So,
3: if that's the play... Okay, I'm impressed. But if it's like just building your brand, that makes – I mean, can you imagine the SEC saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a conference football game away from a campus and we're going to play it in -in fill-in-the-blank country, Canada, Mexico, France, wherever. Can you imagine the backlash from an SEC team that gets told it's going to give up a home game to go play yeah. in a foreign country?
2: I mean, there would be backlash if it was just at a neutral site, period. If they said that, hey, you've got to go play the Iron Bowl at the new UAB stadium, Whew. they would they would uprise. There would be an uprising.
3: Or, or, or if they said Ole oh, this in South Carolina – for your next two games that you play, instead of playing them in on-campus stadiums, you're going to play those in Nashville.
4: Ooh. Yeah.
2: Mm. Nobody wants that.
4: But this did inspire a thought from me anyway. Speaking of, about basketball, because I don't know if, if you want to do this with football in the SEC. As, as you guys are talking about, the home games are just too good. It's just too good. But what if, for basketball... You had every team in the league sacrifice a road game. And you had sacrifice, in air quotes. Your road game, instead of going to Columbia, Missouri, you and Missouri played in New York City. And on a Saturday, you had three SEC games back-to-back-to-back at the Garden or at Barclays Center. And that's one of your road games. You play a neutral site there. Or in Dallas, even though that's in your footprint. Something like that. And you had an SEC day, yeah. But wouldn't the big one app. of
3: those? Wouldn't one
4: of the two teams be giving up a home game? You work it out. I mean, everybody's got to play road games, right? So, so you figure it out. Yeah. maybe. With. Because how many I mean, league games are there? I know I should know this, but I, I don't. Eighteen. So instead of nine on the road, nine at home. Well, maybe you have to do it twice. You have. Eight on the road, eight at home. Or nine at home, eight on the road. And then the other extra one is at a neutral site.
3: And do something like that. But what if the difference in getting to the NCAA tournament or not getting to the NCAA tournament is one win, and you sacrificed a home court advantage to go play
4: a game at Madison Square Garden? It would be one of your road games. So instead of a true road game, it's a neutral site. Messes with the metrics a little bit, but... Yeah. I, I see. That's the, the kind of thing that would interest me. But how would it help you?
3: Money. I mean, it would expand be expand your
4: market. There, there would York be City. a
3: novelty there. Yeah. But I mean, are you all of a, a sudden becoming an Auburn fan if you live in New York City with no ties to Auburn just because Auburn played a game on a Saturday at the Garden? No. But no.
4: But if you did it with every team and there's money to be made there, then then it's worth it. You're going on the road anyway. I mean, just
3: use Madison Square Garden as an example, and there's a Chase logo on the, the floor there. I mean, if Chase wants to do a $15 million SEC basketball series where every team that plays there gets a million bucks put in their pocket, and I, I maybe? Something like that, yeah. you sell Maybe it. so. Somebody said just play the SEC tournament at the Garden. I think the Big East would have an issue with that. I think that's their spot. But man, that'd be cool. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap it up with you coming up next in the Pearl River Resort Studios.
0: Sports Talk Mississippi. Oh my
1: God. What is going on here?
0: Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Well, it's about time. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Today, Chris Jans' bank account has gotten bigger. New contract for Mississippi State's head basketball coach headed into his second year. Going to make $3.2 million plus incentives plus raises each year. Congrats to
4: him. Good to be Chris Jans today. Huh? Speaking of Mississippi State, does this mean anything? I was going to ask. I was going to
3: ask it. So... Redneck Roy doesn't post on Twitter very often. I mean that as an endearing term. It's his nickname or was by some. Roy Oswalt. Former exceptional big league pitcher. Hey Dad, he 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 tweeted a picture earlier today. It was a picture at Roy Oswalt 44 net. He just tweeted a picture of Bully. I don't know if that's Jack or the new guy, but Bully nonetheless. That's the new guy. It's a good picture.
4: Looks majestic. A,
3: that's Jack. It's a good picture. Yeah. Beautiful day. No comment. Yeah. Nothing else. First comment under the picture tweet is, please let this be a sign. <laughs> is it a sign? I don't know. I don't
2: know. I don't know. But we'll see. I mean, if we see him, I guess I guess we'll find out in about uh, 48, 48 hours. If, he, if he's sitting in the dugout uh, on Friday night, you probably have a good idea then. Maybe he's just excited I ate at one of his restaurants for lunch today. I don't
4: know. Wait, what a great PR move that would be from Chris Limonis, by the way. You know how to get people to be really happy with you? You bring back a native son. A wildly yeah. successful native son. Who didn't play here,
2: I want to add. I know. But just a
4: native son of Mississippi. You bring him back, everybody loves him. He's wildly successful. Small town guy. Got the great nickname, all that stuff. Bring him home to Mississippi, and then suddenly like all the all the energy goes away. From Weir High School
3: to Holmes Community College to Major League Baseball.
4: What's the oh, population no, of Weir off the top of your head?
2: Low. It's less than 1,000. Or
4: 59. Ooh. Yeah. According to the 2010
2: One of the most census. the dominant football programs in Mississippi history before they got, they got
3: consolidated. SEC baseball standings going into the weekend. Also, it's begins... Weir. Oh, yeah. I actually almost corrected. I think I said Weir second. But still, I don't... People, will,
2: people will text in. They will yeah, say something. Good,
3: good, good, good. Still learning the small towns. Vanderbilt on top of the East at sixteen and five. I'm not sure how this Vanderbilt team is sixteen and five, but they are. South Carolina, fourteen and six. Florida game back of them in the lost column at fourteen and seven. Kentucky is eleven and ten. It has gone the wrong way with that difficult ending second half schedule for Kentucky. Tennessee Red Hot winners of six in a row in the SEC, now eleven and ten. Then you got Georgia at eight and thirteen. Their postseason hopes took a hit last weekend in Oxford and Missouri at five and sixteen. So the two teams that are currently at the bottom of the SEC, Missouri in the east and Ole Miss in the West, will meet at Taylor Stadium this weekend in Columbia, starting tomorrow night. First pitch, six o'clock. For game 1, Mike in Oxford texted us a moment ago. He said he is currently at Taylor Stadium in Columbia and he says, "I promise you, Jacksonville State has a nicer baseball stadium." Okay. LSU on top of the West at 15 and 5, then it's Arkansas at 14 and 7. Alabama and Auburn both at 9 and 12, same thing for A&M. Mississippi State at 6 and 15, Ole Miss at 5-16. and 16. The baseball series this weekend, and we'll get more into this tomorrow. It's like, you don't see a whole lot of drama on the schedule this weekend. Ole Miss at Missouri, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Vandy at Alabama, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Arkansas at Mississippi State. South Carolina at Kentucky. Tennessee at Georgia. Florida at Texas A&M. LSU at Auburn. Just kind of a meh
4: weekend schedule in the SEC. You know what contributes to that? Our Top heaviness? Our, our two teams being meh.
2: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, his state is good. Arkansas, Mississippi State be a great series. Yeah. Almost Missouri might not be, but, you know.
3: Somebody on the c text line, Roy Oswalt, new MSU pitching coach. I called it yesterday. That's not official. Is that a hope? Whoa! I'm, I'm sure you said right. you said that's not official. Does that mean? Yeah. Does that mean you think it is headed in that direction? No.
2: No, I'm just saying. You know, the way you said that could be construed as you saying that.
3: Oh no, I was I was reading a text message. I'm on just saying. saying that's what I'm, like. I'm
2: just trying to help you.
3: I'm just trying but, to help you. Your wording there of it not being official. No, it's. I don't have any knowledge. That raised my antennas. Thunder and lightning on the radio coming up next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. You guys hear what Heydad said? Good night. Oh, it's
1: incredible.